Hello and welcome to the Joe Rest Podcast, episode 15, recorded on the evening of Saturday, the 12th of September, 2015. I'm Joe, and with me, as always, is Isaac. Hello, everybody. So we've got a bit of a different show for you this time. Um, a bit of a behind the scenes. We have just sat and talked to a guest for two hours, and now we're recording the intro because we didn't know how long it was going to be. The decision has been made that we're going to split that chat into two. And so we're going to do half of that chat now or after we've talked for a little bit. And then uh, the other half in a few days, hopefully, when I get around to editing it and pushing it out. But uh, before we get to that, what have we been up to, man? Um, I'm trying to think. Just work. I feel like I work all the time now. And then uh, I've been watching a lot of Twitch lately. That's kind of getting more and more. There's nothing on TV anymore. So I just watch Twitch, which is way more, I don't know, enjoyment. More than, I don't know. There's just much better than what the junk that comes on TV normally. Uh, well, the junk that comes on TV these days, but the junk that came on in the 80s. Now, that was that's what I'm talking about. So what junk are you talking about in the 80s that was so much better? The Golden Girls. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's awesome. Wait. I'm telling you, like... Okay, right. Here's the story of how I ended up watching The Golden Girls. Uh, when I eat dinner or lunch, if I'm home when I eat lunch, I have to be entertained. Okay. And so, like, most people sit and watch TV, I think, probably, while they eat. Because, uh, God forbid, you have to have a conversation while you eat. And so, for some reason, a tradition in my household is that we watch a sitcom. Because it, uh, American sitcoms minus adverts are about 22 minutes which is just about enough time for me to eat and so we have gone through all sorts of stuff we watched like all of friends um like pretty much everything fran drescher's ever done because my wife loves her so um the nanny i don't know if you've ever seen that and the stuff that she's done recently yeah, i can hear that annoying voice in my head right now <laughs> oh gosh yeah <laughs> mr sheffield um <laughs> And uh, we've watched Father Ted, uh, the IT crowd, just pretty much every sitcom you can think of. And we were really just running out. Oh, we watched a bit of The Fresh Prince, but then after the changed Aunt Viv, we were like, no, this is rubbish. And so we didn't actually. That's the one sitcom that we never made it through the whole of them. And so my wife suggested The Golden Girls. I was like, I don't want to watch a bunch of old women just... uh." she's like, no, let's give it a go. And so we watched one episode. And I was like, eh, it's okay. And then we watched another couple. And I was like, eh, yeah, well, it's not bad. And now we're like three or four seasons in, and I love it. It's brilliant. Uh, did you ever watch it? Yeah, I did watch uh, Golden Girls for sure. I can't remember. I was trying to think when it came on exactly, like what night of the week. And I think they like rotated to every night. Yeah, it was originally on, I don't know what channel, but it was like in the late, mid to late 80s. And then they just repeated it throughout all the 90s. Yeah, I used to watch it. You know, I haven't watched it actually in a while. <laughs> you know, I did see an episode the other day that was really funny, but it would come on and I don't know why we were watching it, but I just did. So I haven't really sat down and cranked it out like I do Star Trek, but it is good. I do. It is a funny show. You're right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We went through all of Star Trek as well. Um, all of the original series and then Next Generation. And then my wife was like, Voyager. And Voyager's like, no. good. I've been, I've been tearing Voyager up. Uh, I draw the line at that. But really? Isn't, yeah. I, I, I said, we're, I didn't even want to watch TNG, but then I was convinced to, and we watched all the movies, and then it was like, you know, you've got Voyager, Deep Space Nine, I was like, no, nah, I draw the line, that's it, I'm not watching those, that's just too far. I, I like Voyager, it's pretty good. Okay. Isn't the 
captain from Voyager, a woman. Yes. Captain Janeway. She's also the uh, red from uh, Orange is the New Black, I believe. Yes, which that was the segue I was going for because I've also been watching Orange is the New Black and I, that is awesome as well. I don't know. It's just a bit of a coincidence that at the moment I'm watching stuff that's primarily women. And, you know, it's not through any choice or anything. It just is a pure coincidence. You've never seen Orange is the New Black, have you? No, I haven't. I haven't not sat down and watched it. I heard it's good. I heard a lot of good things about it. I just haven't got around to, to watching it, really. Well, I, I highly recommend it. The only thing in its kind of, um, you know, the, the downside to it is there's just too much lesbian sex in it quite frankly. Well, that's rough. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, damn. That's, that's no good. No, I mean, come on. Like the, the bottom line is I don't like watching dramedies as it, you know, it's, it's kind of a drama, but it's kind of funny. They call it dramedy. Like, I don't think there's any need for sex in it. You know, there's yeah. plenty of sex out there to be watched on the internet. If you're in the mood for that kind of thing, if you're in the mood to watch a dramedy, then you know, that's one of the reasons I don't want to watch Game of Thrones. I was about fantasy. to ask you, have you watched Game of Thrones? Uh, I've watched one episode of it because someone I knew's daughter was in it, but that's a different story. There is a South Park, like, I think uh, three episodes combined, or, you know, like a running three yeah. episodes. But yeah, yeah, I saw that. They, they, they ask Butters to watch Game of Thrones, and he comes back, and he's like, it's nothing but wieners. And I could not <laughs> stop laughing. Everything he said was so true. <laughs> and I've heard yeah. that from a lot of people that don't like that, on, you know, on TV. Like that, that, that much nudity. Well, you know, HBO, of course, is going to take it over the top. Mm. So it was surprised me that Netflix makes Orange and New Black, right? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a Netflix original. So it's just a total free for all. And, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm not dreadfully offended by sex or lesbian sex. I don't give a, you know, I don't care at all about, uh, you know, whether it's whatever. But it just, just seems inappropriate. And it just, I'm not interested. It's just boring to me. You know, if I want to watch that kind of thing, there, there are websites that will show it in much more graphic detail, you know? That reminds me of a long time ago, this girl I was dating at the time, uh, we she we were watching a movie, and she kind of fell asleep, and anyway, we started watching it with her dad, and uh, me and her dad are sitting there watching it, and it's eyes wide shut. Um, really? <laughs> That's know? a porno, and, basically. Yeah, he's like a real Christian dude. And we, oh, we finished it, but we are just kind of like, okay. We won't, we won't speak of this. <laughs> uh, that, that reminds me actually of um, when I was like, I don't know, 14, 15, I was going out with this quite rich girl who had a, this fancy house, this fancy holiday home in the south of France. And um, I would go away with her for a couple of weeks or whatever. And um, at night, we would watch a, a video. It was actually like VHSs back then. That's how long ago that was, kids. And... You know, we watched various things like classics, whatever. And then one night it was Boogie Nights and I knew nothing about it. They knew nothing about it, apart from the fact that it was supposed to be good. Oh, boy. And and like we sat there and, you, you know, anyone who's seen Boogie Nights knows it's about the, the porn industry in this kind of 70s into the early 80s. And um, like most of them, and it's long as well. You know, it's not like over quickly. It's like nearly three hours long or something. And uh, they all kind of just shuffled off to bed. And it was just me watching it at the end, you know, that kind of like really <laughs> intense. Yeah, you stay late up. masturbating. Yeah. That's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, the, the, the porn stuff in it is quite early on, isn't it? And the, um, the, the, yeah, then it the takes end, like that whole drug. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's swerve, like really, you know, it gets real, yeah. it gets real crazy. Yeah, really intense and, um, and stuff. Yeah, it's that, Brugge Nice is a brilliant, brilliant film. I have to watch that again at some point. But, um, yeah, that just reminded me of that. But anyway, yeah, so that's my two picks for uh, for TV shows, old and current, uh, Golden Girls and um, 
Orange is the New Black. As far as TV goes lately, I've been watching Simpsons, Twitch, and there was something else. Star Trek, uh, Voyager. So I've been watching. Oh, okay. Well, um, yeah, give, uh, give Orange is the New Black a go and you'll see her being red. Very convincing Russian lady. But it didn't occur to me that she wasn't Russian and then until I looked into who she was and that she'd been in Voyager and a bunch of other stuff. Kate something, I think she's called. But anyway, well, that's enough uh, waffling. Let's get on with, it's not really an interview, it's just a chat that we had with a guest, and that guest is Ben Emlyn-Jones. He will introduce himself a bit. Suffice to say, he is major tinfoil hat, so if you're not into that kind of stuff, listen to it. Don't turn off. Actually hear that side of the, the argument and that side of the fence for once. You know, if you consider yourself a scientific skeptic, and you don't believe in old UFOs and 9-11 being an inside job and stuff, actually listen to someone who speaks eloquently about it, someone who's studied it and can offer lots of examples. Um, and, you know, I tried to play devil's advocate because I'm not properly tinfoil hat. I'm somewhere in the middle. I, I just don't know about these conspiracy theories, whether they're true or not. I'm, I'm more the alley of, during the talk, the the listeners will hear where we kind of say, like, should you keep going into these conspiracy theories? Because it's just, I mean, what are you going to do, really? I mean, there's nothing to, you can't fix it, this or that. And I'm kind of more that alley of just let it, just let it be. That's how life is. Move on. Mm. But I still think it's interesting anyway. Oh, it's, a, it's, so. a, it's a great talk. I enjoy talking with them. I mean, we could, I could easily, it was like, what, a little over two hours? And yeah. I, th- I feel like I could talk to him for another two hours for sure. And not, been, and not been bored and not gone over the same stuff we went over. He's just that really nice guy. Like you said, Elkley, El- I can't even spell, said the word. Anyway, he speaks <laughs> very well. <laughs> and that's what it means. And uh, I just enjoy talking with him. I would not be mad at having him on time and time again. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, as I said, I'm going to split it roughly in half. I don't know yet until I get into the editing room, but it's going to be probably roughly an hour. Um, and then we'll come back and, and do a bit of a wrap-up. So for now, enjoy Ben Emlyn-Jones. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Ben Emlyn-Jones onto the show. So welcome, Ben. Hi, Joe. Hi, Isaac. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Doing good. So for those who don't know who you are, Ben, not your whole life story, but um, I don't know, sum it up for us. Tell us a bit about yourself. Well, I'm a guy who is... Um interested in, in some of the things that most other people are not. And this is something that sort of came up slowly through my life. But um, these include subjects you might like to call the paranormal and conspiracy theory. That's what these subjects are usually um, labeled as. Um, how accurate those labels are, well, it's, it's make you take your pick. But that's generally how it's seen. I ha- have a website called Panro, Hospital Porters Against the New World Order, which has um, a new, has several sections on it. Um, news section videos. I do YouTube videos. I have, have have a radio show of my own, which I broadcast, and and I appear on other people's radio shows, like your good selves. I write some fiction um, with a forum. It's, it's pretty much a multimedia experience, actually. Okay, and y- you mentioned hospital porter there. You f- formerly were a hospital porter, but then things went a bit awry. Yes, <laughs> I was. Unfo- yeah, I was a hospital porter. Unfortunately, I uh, got uh, kicked out. Um, in what I think are quite suspicious circumstances, that's a long story, but um, yeah. Yeah, I was actually uh, removed from the NHS, which is a great shame. But, I mean, it's, it's all worked out quite well, actually, um, since then. Not as, not as bad as I feared. Okay, that's good to hear. So you mentioned the word conspiracy theorist. Is it fair to say that you are a conspiracy theorist? To be honest, yes. Um, literally. 
I mean, that word has the word conspiracy theories has a lot of sort of pejorative baggage. But literally, you have to. I have to admit, yes, I am. Um, I theorize about conspiracies. So yeah, I suppose I am. Ben, before you go a little bit deeper on that, can you tell me like what happened in your life to lead you down this path of the paranormal, supernatural that interests you? Was there something in particular that got you going? You know, Isaac, it's hard to pinpoint an actual event or moment <clears throat> that got me involved in this. Um, I had a childhood. I was, uh, I was, I suppose, I was an oddball when I was a kid. I was sort of uh, slightly. I wasn't sort of like a very conformist when I was a child. I was quite unconventional in many ways. I never really had an interest in these subjects until maybe later on, but it grew slowly on me. I became, I started looking into the paranormal and UFOs as I, uh, as I grew up. And, um, there's, I mean, that's what, what events were there. I mean, there were several events I think that did make me wonder whether some of the things might be real. And one of those was the death of Princess Diana in 1998 which I was on night shift at the time. And, um, I mean, there's a lot of uh, suspicious elements to that, what happened to that, to that lady in tunnel in Paris. And, um, at the time, uh, I was on night shift and we was, it was actually going through the night and knew we were watching the news through the night. It wasn't much going on. It was quiet night patient wise. And some of the doctors were watching with us and the nurses and we were all sort of thinking, well, is she all right? And they were saying things like, well, th these were sort of like uh, highly trained casualty officers. So they, they know how the emergency services work and things. And they started saying things like, why is she still in the tunnel? Why haven't they moved her out? This doesn't make sense. You know, there's a hospital a short distance away. This is Paris, one of the world's biggest cities. There's a major accident emergency unit not far. Uh, and then we had a phone call from, um, through from the Department of Health saying, um, go out and take the hospital flag down to half-mast. And we did. We went out and did that. And we knew why it was. And then we came back, and then a few minutes later on the news, it was announced that she was dead. And that, I think, really made me think, well, is, is there something more to this world going on? And uh, when we hear it on the news through the official mainstream media, is it all true? Or are we being lied to? Or are we being deliberately misled to uh, see things differently to how they are? Well, we're recording this on September the 12th. And so obviously yesterday was the 14th anniversary of 9-11. And uh, before we get into the uh, horrible tragedy that happened um, in Mecca, I mean, let's let's talk about 9-11 for a second. Now, that for me, and I think for a lot of people, was a very pivotal moment. And I think that that got a lot of people, not necessarily at the time, but subsequently, it got a lot of people thinking about this kind of stuff and questioning the, the mainstream media view of things. I mean, presumably that was quite pivotal as well for you. Um, yes, it was. I mean, I... I remember I, where I was, as everyone was, and I was I was on duty at the hospital again. And um, someone came up to me and said, "Have you heard what happens? What's happened? Some planes have crashed in New York." And um, of course, again, it was it was all everyone was everyone sort of was getting television sets out and they were watching it. And, and of course, the second plane hit the the tower, the second tower, and we knew it couldn't be an accident. And we basically watched. I think, like everyone else, we were stunned at the time as. Uh, Almost 3,000 people have been killed right in front of us. And uh, we were shocked, like everyone else was. I didn't think, wow, this is suspicious, straight away. I didn't. I, I was just numb, like everyone else was, and thinking, what an awful thing to happen. And then um, by that time, I had started looking at reading David Icke, for example, who's very, he's been very influential on me. And I've been looking into other conspiratorial pieces of literature. And... It didn't. It wasn't long before 
critic, I did come into contact with information of critics of the official story. And um, I started reading through these and thinking, well, I started talking about them as well. I thought, well, if, if there is, if there are suspicious elements to this event, then I think I have a duty to speak out about them. So I did. I talked to my friends and family and not many of them really saw things my way. But um, I think that really it was a jolt for me. It was something that made me, um, again, like rather like the Princess Diana thing. It was quite seminal for me um, in, in making me take these things more seriously. When it comes to 9-11... There are a lot of videos on YouTube. There are hundreds or thousands of articles out there detailing the various uh, pieces of evidence suggesting that the official story isn't quite true. And I've never really seen a a concise, um, not proof, but at least a concise uh, explanation of why the official story isn't true because there are so many elements to it and so i I don't know maybe i'm asking the impossible but you have clearly studied this in depth i mean for someone listening who's thinking what a you know crazy nut job he thinks 9-11 was an inside job you know he thinks that jet fuel can't melt steel beams and all that what's your answer to that i mean is there a, a simple short um explanation for why the official story doesn't add up um holistically no um you're right that there's a very very many different elements to this it involves many many different um, areas and events um what you'll find is researchers often focus on a single a single part of that um of, of the uh, entire 9 11 um, situation um some people focus on the financial side of it the put options on the stock market and things like that which is very suspicious in itself um, others focus on, um, well, probably one of the most detailed and interesting things to read about and probably one of the most persuasive is the, is the uh, study about the, basically the engineering and architectural um, elements of the World Trade Center itself in New York, the first place to be attacked. Uh, Dr. Judy Wood in particular, I think, has done a very thorough, in-depth scientific investigation of that, and she's written a huge, quite a big book. It's well worth reading, though, uh, Where Did the Towers Go?, um, so that's, that's probably a good place to start because, I mean, as with any crime, if, if the police are investigating a crime, for example, the first thing they do is they, they want to know what happened um, before they start looking into who did it. So the first thing they do is they look at the body. They do forensic examination of the body. Has it got bullet wounds? Is there poison in the bloodstream? Things like that that might give a clue about how the person died or was murdered. Um, in the case of 9-11, we have been given a narrative. We've been given a narrative. We've been given a, a culprit and um, who has been tried and convicted effectively. Uh, that is Osama bin Laden and his, his cronies. And then the question you have to ask, does, and of course the official story was that these hijacked planes were hijacked. They were flown into the towers. The impact on the fire caused the towers to collapse. Uh, if the evidence fits that, then that's fine. But I don't think it does. I don't think the evidence fits that particular conclusion. So it, it is, it's a long journey, actually. I'd say to anyone new, like getting involved in this, it is quite a, it is quite an expedition you'll be on. And you talk about this this journey that you have to go on, and all these very disturbing truths that you, at least from your perspective, have uncovered. A lot of people, and there's someone I know who's a doctor, and he's got a family, and he's you know a very happy person, happy to play with phones and. 
you know, drive his nice car and all of that kind of stuff. And he says to me, well, even if that stuff's true, I don't want to know about it because it's just depressing and there's nothing I can do about it. So why are you wasting your time even learning about it when you could just get on with your life and just accept the, the truth of the mainstream view of things? That's actually um, understandable, I think. Some of the information you will come across if you're new to these, these situations is extremely demoralizing and disturbing indeed. I, I know people who are mentally traumatized by getting involved in conspiracy theory and uh, government cover-ups to this extent. I've had friends of mine I've essentially had to, who have lost their minds. We've had a couple of people I know have committed suicide. Now, um, I don't want to pass judgment on people who take the position of your doctor friend. I really don't. Because if you have a, a family and you have a, you want to, you want what's best for children, especially if you've got small children. I know because I had, I have a, well, she's not a small child now. She's a big girl. But when I had a small child, really, I can't see really beyond the well-being of my individual family. And the idea, for instance, that, um, well, I don't know who did 9-11, quite frankly. I don't nominate any culprits, but I know who didn't do it. And I know that the covert political state organizations of this world are colluding with whoever did it, if they themselves are not um, directly involved. That is frightening to think that these institutions would carry out some, such a horrific atrocity. Yeah, I mean, I remember the day that that happened, as everyone does. And, uh, you know, I was sitting there watching Neighbours on the TV. And then it was, we interrupt this program for a special news report. And uh, I, I saw the second plane hit live and I saw the, the tower go down. And I then subsequently watched the news constantly for the next couple of days. And I remember that they found the passport of one of the hijackers near one of the, the you know, near ground zero, conveniently not burnt. And then, you know, they, within what felt like a couple of days, it probably even sooner than that, they had put together, the mainstream media had put together this narrative that it was Bin Laden and it was these hijackers. And that, to me, is the biggest or, or, or the single strangest part about it, that how could they possibly have known that so quickly? I mean, they could have suspected that because Bin Laden had, uh, or Al-Qaeda had bombed the World Trade Centers previously. But to have just said, that's it, it was definitely them, that is what kind of struck me at the time as being very odd. Yes. I mean, on reflection, I think me too. I mean, I didn't notice these things at the time, but... um... Osama bin Laden, of course, he was a, was listed as a very dangerous man. Of course, he had been an asset of the CIA uh, for, for many, many years up to that point. Uh, but he was not actually implicated with 9-11 until, as you said, quite a bit later. There was supposedly a video where he confessed to this crime, although um, Arabic language interpreters actually um, dispute that. It's quite an interesting soundtrack on this, um, on this video. And the, the person, the man in the video, he doesn't doesn't resemble all the pictures we see of Osama bin Laden in other circumstances, but um, it is it is an odd thing. I mean, in, in a sense, there was no, there was no he was never officially charged as well with the um, with the attacks. The FBI never officially charged him. It was just it was almost like a trial by media. One moment, no one knew what happened. Everyone was stunned. Then the passport was found. Next thing we know, he's up on the the, the you know the, the 
the perpetrator of 9-11 is everywhere. Osama bin Laden is on the TV screens. So it was extremely irregular and legally, um, it's a real fast track kind of situation, very improper, very wrongful. So I know exactly what you mean. Ben, uh, currently in today's world, what has really got your attention at the moment or got your focus? Well, um, the moment, uh, Isaac, is this, uh, there's this awful situation in Mecca where a crane, a giant, one of those huge building cranes you see when they're putting up a big skyscraper. Um, it was actually being used. They're, they're doing an extension on a huge mosque there, the, um, uh, the Masjid al-Haram. They've got the enormous mosque, the world's biggest mosque. And it's um, t- toppled over on, on September the 11th, 14 years to the day. It toppled over and crashed on top of the mosque. Um, it killed over 100 people, lots of people injured. I mean, as someone who's worked in the emergency services, I, I can just imagine exactly what's going on at the local hospitals. They're, they're probably still on red alert. Um, the crane coming down, one of these great big cranes coming down on top. Enormous crowds in there. I mean, it can hold 4 million people in this mosque. It's huge. 4 million people fit in there? Almost four million can actually fit in there when it's packed to capacity. Yes, that must enormous. be enormous. Then, I mean, that, oh, it covers a number of acres. Yeah, it's huge. That's unthinkably um, big, but okay, it is huge. I mean, it's. I'm going by Wikipedia. They said during during the Hajj, the pilgrimage, it, they, they the capacity can be up to four million at a time. So it's it's in a way, I suppose, a blessing in disguise that so few people actually have perished so far. Then it, it potentially could have been a lot more had it been more packed in a. Well, well, the Hajj begins next week, so if it, uh, probably if more people have been in the in the building or in the area where this thing came down, there would have been more casualties. Yeah, um, and um, it's it's just made me wonder about because um, people are going to interpret this in a certain way. I mean, some people might interpret it as a sign from God um, on either on both sides. On the, the sort of the the Muslims may interpret it as a sign from God, as might some of the people in America who believe the official story. And I, it can't help make me wonder if this is just a coincidence this happened on September the 11th, this auspicious day of infamy. Um, is that a coincidence? I'm a 365 to 1 chance against. Which is not that huge, is it? 365 to 1. I mean, it's, it's a fair, mm-hmm. fair odds, but, you know, it's, it, there are tragedies that happen every day. I mean, the fact that this is... The, the center of the Muslim world, literally the center where they all pray towards. And you could argue that the World Trade Center, you know, in New York, the kind of center of capitalism, uh, you know, a, a symbol of the West. So maybe that's, you know, beyond coincidence. But I don't know. I'm, I'm not 100% convinced about that. But what did strike me as interesting was the fact that the crane itself was owned by the bin Laden family. The irony's not lost on me. Yeah, it's uh, well. Again, that's considering the Saudi Bin Laden Group is one of the world's biggest construction companies. It's it's not it's not unusual that it would be, but it, it's a it's a strange kind of um um aptness. That I can't help. I can't get away from. It's just really, really. It's just really kind of almost like a a piece of black comedy. It really is. Um, yeah. I mean, as far as coincidence goes, I mean the thing about coincidence is it's it could be see it could be a coincidence this has happened but then once you start getting into the realms of well if it's physically possible then there's it's kind of no statistical ceiling on that on your speculation this is the uh, this is the problem when you come up when you start considering things coincidence you might be right but then you always might be right it becomes 
kind of unfalsifiable, really. Um, there's no statistical cutoff point above which we can all agree something is so improbable that it cannot happen. I mean, nothing physically possible in this world is so improbable that it can never happen. You can never say that. So once we start getting the realms of wondering whether things are coincidence or not, it's it kind of you can end up going on into inf into infinity. But the thing about that, I mean, take that as a perfect example, this crane catastrophe. Given that the building practices in the Middle East aren't all that, well, the, the safety standards don't tend to be that high. I mean, from, from my knowledge, I mean, look at the, the number of poor people who have perished building the, the World Cup stadium um, in the Middle East. That is, is very, very high relative to Western and even in places like Brazil where there were a fair number. And so I, it's Occam's razor, isn't it? What's the most likely explanation for something? Is the most likely explanation that there was a conspiracy to make this crane fall over and kill a load of poor, innocent people who were just trying to pray in the mosque? Or is it more likely that safety standards weren't um, upheld or safety standards were too low and, you know, it wasn't properly anchored and, uh, you know, a, a slightly stronger than normal gust of wind actually did make it topple? I don't know. I mean, the, the logic in me says that it probably was just people taking backhanders and, you know, bidding for the, the, the contract for it to, to build this thing and wanting to maximize their profits by minimizing safety standards. And, you know, it's, it's come back to bite them when hundreds of people have uh, died as a result. Yeah, I mean, you may have a point there, actually, because this crane actually was not actually secured to the ground. It was, it was mounted on top of some kind of vehicle with caterpillar tracks, so it looks almost like a bulldozer with this huge crane um, coming out the top of it. Um, now, I've not seen anything like that in this country. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if such uh, vehicles are actually banned in this country because maybe they're not safe. Now, wind, there was a 25-mile-per-hour mile wind at that time. Um, whether that's beyond the design parameters of the crane, I don't know. I mean, I know this was a German-built crane. Um, it was owned by the Bin Laden, built in Germany. I don't know what their actual the tolerances are in terms of wind, but uh, it, it wasn't a raging gale. But you, you could have a point. I mean, I, I mean, looking at statistics, so you could look at statistics of actually accidents within in, in that country, in Saudi Arabia, and that might give us a better idea. Um, Occam's razor is an interesting thing because it is a, it is a problem-solving exercise. Um, you always go for the most likely explanation first. So, for instance, if your radio stops working, you would um, change the batteries first before you open it up and start filling with the innards because flat batteries is the most likely cause of it uh, stopping to not working. But as I said, we need, we need to know more because in order to know what is more or less likely, uh, we have to actually have that knowledge first. So um, that's the problem with Occam's razor. You have to have foreknowledge in order to use it. So that's an area of investigation, I think, Joe. Yeah, find out exactly how many accidents there were in Saudi Arabia maybe that year, and you can work out exactly how likely it was that this would happen. Yeah, I mean, are there similar accidents happening building skyscrapers? You know, not necessarily just mosques. You know, are are there cranes falling over and and killing people who aren't worshiping? And that isn't really worthy of international news is it so yeah I, th I think further investigation before any conclusions are drawn on that one i mean construction is a hazardous occupation i mean builders do die 
Indeed, um, yes. Kind of, all over the world they do. Um, but of course, it's, again, it's about safety standards and um, things like that. And um, yeah. could be the safety standards in Saudi Arabia is not as stringent as they are in this country, perhaps. Now, we've mentioned that you are a, a conspiracy theorist and the kind of manipulation of the word if you say conspiracy then the the next word that people associate with that is theorist but one of the biggest arguments that i hear against conspiracies like the illuminati the the new world order is that these conspiracy theories seek to impose order on a chaotic world it's easier for you to get your head around the idea that there is a power in control of things and you know for thousands of years that would have been god and now we've mostly moved beyond that uh, at least i hope and the the replacement for that is this kind of unseen force of the illuminati or the new world order whatever you want to call it and so it's easier to imagine that they are controlling things pulling the strings controlling world events when in reality there is no such controlling figure and it is just a chaotic world where everyone is trying to make money and look out for themselves and not care about anyone else or you know there are obviously some people but the the, the rich people at least are just trying to uh, further their own agenda their own personal agenda and there is no overall kind of world agenda taking care of everything so i mean what, what do you think about that you presume you've heard that before from the skeptical movement, the skeptics with a K. Yes. Oh, I think uh, it, it's again, it's difficult to actually prove that it's not the case. It's just chaotic. I mean, of course, there are people in, who are. I mean, we, it's, there's no doubt there are people who are maybe in the outer party, so to speak, or in the, the top of big corporations who are doing exactly what you say. They're, they're, they're working for selfish ends and individualistic ends. That's what's a question is are there any kind of um overarching trends any kind of uh, arcs of of direction that the world is going in which seem to supersede what would be the shuffling of various um the shuffling of human nature at a high level with power and author- with power and ability and and desire um, that's the question i mean i think there are certain trends going on in the world at the moment which do indicate because because they're so widespread, they seem to be going, coming in everywhere. They do indicate that there is some kind of controlling force. I mean, I could be mistaken, of course. I mean, I can't prove. I'd, I've not had a fax from the Illuminati, whatever you choose to call them. I'm sure if I was on a psychiatrist's couch, he could have a field day taking me apart. I'm sure he would, but um, I can't uh, shake off the feeling that uh, such a thing exists. I really can't. Um, you talk about patterns there, and the, the human brain evolved to see patterns, sometimes where there aren't any. And, and the classic case of uh, Richard Dawkins, who I know you are a huge fan of, Ben, uh, <laughs> he, he says that um, it, it makes sense to see patterns where there aren't any. So, for example, thinking that there's a lion in the bushes over there and you know, you, you're seeing some rustling and you being aware of that and being able to run away from it, even if 99 times out of 100 there is no lion, the one time that there is one means that you'll be out of its way, and therefore that's an evolutionary advantage, and that's why we have developed this kind of pattern recognition um, within our brains through evolution. 
So, I mean, isn't it possible that that's a big part of these these conspiracy theories that you you're kind of seeing correlation and patterns that aren't in fact there because you've just evolved to recognise them? That uh, is, is very similar to the idea of coincidence, what we were talking about a little while ago. Um, now, Dawkins, of course, I've, I've read, I do study Richard Dawkins, I've watched his videos, I've read a couple of his books, and several other people on the in the sceptic milieu, shall we say, they talk about what's known as pareidolia, which is basically what you were saying, the, the seeing of patterns, especially images, visual images of things that are not there. Yeah, I mean, the classic man in the moon, for example. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good example. Yeah, or people see the Virgin Mary in a chip, a potato chip or something, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we do see things just out there. I mean, we do see pictures in clouds and things like that. But um, again, I mean, if you using that logic, it would be possible to walk into the Sistine Chapel in Rome and say, there's no painting here. It's just random splashes of paint that, that just happens to look in a nice way. Oh, uh, Michelangelo, he got angry one day. He kicked his paint pots around the place and decided he liked the pattern. So you see, now of course that's ridiculous. That's a bit everyone say, don't be silly. That's a painting. You can see it's a painting. Um, and you say, well, prove me wrong. Prove, you know, what statistical ceiling are you going to put on this? Does, in terms of the actual, without knowing, of course, of course we know Michelangelo did paint. Those, uh, or Leonardo, whoever it was, did. I know he's a turtle of some kind. Yeah, he, <laughs> Donatello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know that this guy painted this beautiful mural um, with God, the hand of God and things like that. Because we know, but if supposing we found that and we didn't know who the artist was, it's we would we recognize it as a painting, but of course, no one would deny it was a painting. But if I, if I want to be really a real curmudgeon, I could actually say, mm, prove to me that's a painting. No, it looks could be random, and you wouldn't be able to prove me wrong because there's no statistical cutoff point between what everyone agrees is what everyone can agree on that this is not random. Below, below the cutoff point, it could be random, above it, it cannot be. And until that discussion has taken place, it's kind of an unfalsifiable uh, proposition. So you might be right. I mean, maybe I'm, I am seeing something in nothing. But I mean, I do, having studied these trends and studying these various uh, subjects, um, I do see a pattern there. And I'm, I think for the time being, I'm going to operate as if that pattern does exist. Because, you know, the tiger might get me otherwise. But if you're looking for it, you know, if, if you look at a world event like this, this Mecca crane disaster, you look at that event. If you go into it from a conspiracy theorist's tinfoil hat, as we say on this show, angle, then you're going to find the anomalies and you're going to come to that conclusion. I mean, there have been studies that have proven that, that it, when you look at evidence, you ignore stuff that doesn't fit in with your worldview and you focus in on the, the bits of evidence that do. And, you know, they call that confirmation bias. I, I mean, what would you say to that? I think the only thing I can do is, the only thing anyone can do at this, at this point, is uh, make an effort to be as introspective as possible, um, as much as you can. And I do, I am aware of the need to do that, to actually um, integrate any thoughts I have rather than just think them. I mean, I do actually, I am very interested in the skeptic movement. I, I do study the skeptic movement. I, I've, um, I'm a member of Oxford Skeptics in the pub, and I do go to their meetings, and I go to other skeptics in the pub meetings, and I've been to TAM London. Um, so I read skeptic books. I do look at both sides of the story. I do try to, try to analyze events with as much intellectual honesty as I can muster. I do make an effort to do that. 
not everything is a conspiracy. I mean, I do, some things do happen, and I think, well, some other people think that's a conspiracy. I don't. For instance, I don't think the Earth is flat. I don't think that um, the Earth is hollow. I don't think Lewis Hamilton is Barack Obama's son. <laughs> oh, that's a great <laughs> Believe it or not, that is a real one. Now, I don't believe these things. So I suppose I, I just make an effort. If I don't always succeed, then, um, well, I apologize. But, um, but, well, I mean, you mentioned some of the, the more crazy conspiracy theories there. I mean, without going into too much detail, I mean, you've got the kind of the main conspiracy theories. You've got JFK, moon landings, um, Diana, 9-11, 7-7 here in the UK. Presumably, you, you believe there's something a little bit fishy about all of those then? Yeah. I mean, as I said, with Diana, it's, um, there are elements that really should be, there, there are certain suspicious elements. Um, for example, um, as I said before, th- this was not just me thinking this, it was just doctors and nurses at my hospital. We were all talking about it as it was happening and saying, this is why she's still in the tunnel. Well, haven't they moved her out yet? They're, uh, why this this is what nor- not normally happens during a road traffic accident there was the fact that uh, the tunnel for example was swept clean almost as soon as the car wreckage was taken away yeah jet washed wasn't it it was yeah they got they got the road sweepers out of bed and they said come on come and clean this tunnel for us that's not a very good way of preserving evidence i mean if you or i had been in that car i mean i'm, I'm if we assume this was a conspiracy that, tun- that tunnel would be closed for at least 12 hours as the traffic investigation people went in they studied all they looked everything that happened yeah, well, on motorways like the M25, when there's a, a fatal crash there, I mean, forget about it. It's closed all day. Yeah, exactly. This, this, is, this is standard procedure. So it, it didn't happen in this case. And then the, the, the investigating authorities, such as the, the, the pathology reports at the hospital, they don't add up. I mean, there's lots of, there was lots of conflicting information. Uh, some statements were made. Some statements were released. Pathology reports were released before the postmortem had been completed, things like that. Of course, that could be coincidence. That could be just a, a massive slip-up. Maybe they just they were overwhelmed with having some, such a major celebrity in the hospital, and they were overwhelmed by it or something. But I mean, yeah, and, and similarly at at the scene of it. I mean, c- could it not be that the the emergency um, personnel who got there, the, you know, the paramedics and and ambulance people, could it not be that they just sort of panicked and didn't know what to do, and like, oh, we don't want to move her, and what if we get in trouble for? for not doing it right. And, you know, could, could it be as simple as that? I mean, you say that they didn't move her quickly enough. They didn't take her to the hospital where potentially she may have been saved. I mean, could, could it just be as simple as incompetence? Well, I mean, I don't know much about the French you know, health service, but I mean, I know that the paramedics in this country are very highly trained. They keep, they're very, very professional. They, have a, they keep a cool head in all kinds of circumstances, far worse than the situation with, with, a, with a, someone in a tunnel. Um, I mean, they 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 do all kinds of things. I mean, they'll they'll risk their lives to to, uh, to save people. I, I can't imagine them panicking just because they've got a VIP injured in a car. But what's more likely? Uh, you know, it comes back to this Occam's razor thing. What's more likely? Is it more likely that there was some sort of conspiracy, be it the Queen and Prince Philip? I've heard that one before. Who you know gave the order because she was pregnant with uh, Dodi Al Fayed's child. Or is it more likely that, you know, they crashed and we're, we're going to die, the, the emergency personnel turned up and didn't do a good job, and as a result, she died when potentially she didn't? You know, I mean, what, what is more likely in that situation? Well, as far as who actually killed her, I mean, I, I, mean, I know there's a guy called John King. He's a friend of mine, actually. He wrote a book. 
uh, saying that the Queen and Prince Philip were behind it and things like that. But I mean, I don't know who was behind it or who gave the order. Um, well, I mean, again, I mean, when it comes to Wacom's Razor, you, you need to know all the factors first about what is more likely and which is less likely. I mean, knowing what I do about the emergency services, I think it's very unlikely that not only the paramedic crew lost their poise, but the, the casualty staff did, the pathology staff did, the investigators, the police, then the road traffic investigation service, they all just lost their minds because Diana was in the car. Or alternatively, there was someone who wanted her out of the way. Now, the fact of the matter is, if there are people who did dislike her, she made a lot of enemies, uh, people, very powerful people who might have the means to arrange uh, the killing of somebody, the deliberate murder of somebody. People like who? Well, for instance, some of the, the royal family, I don't think, were very pleased with her. And Diana herself was very frightened of her own husband, Charles, or ex-husband. She actually wrote a letter to her, her close friend, Paul Burrell, saying, I think he's going to kill me, or Prince Philip. She named either Prince Philip or Prince Charles, I can't remember. And um, again, I mean, if I was a policeman looking into this, I would want to ask some tough questions of those people. Of course, if it's the Queen or something, it's difficult, but um, I would want to ask a few tough questions like that. Um, which is more likely or not, again, it's, 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 it's a bit um, difficult to actually put your finger on what's more likely. I personally think it is more likely. When you consider that, that there were several reasons and several people who might want her out of the way. Let's just, I mean, there were, I think there were some people, if it was an accident, I think there were a lot of people who were breathing a sigh of relief when she died. And they really were. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the, the people who sighed, you know, breathed a sigh of relief actually did it. It's not doesn't necessarily mean that, but it is... It is a question we've got to ask. I mean, if, if there are people with the power and the means to arrange a, a covert killing of somebody and make it look like an accident, they would want someone out of the way. Um, and they had the means to do that. Would they? Or would they just hope? Or they just sit and hope and think, well, let's just leave it to chance and hope she has a nasty accident at some point. Mm. And there's also the, there's other evidence. There's the, the revelations of Richard Tomlinson as well, who was a, in MI6. Now he, Came out with a plan. They had a, in the uh, a few years earlier, the the government had a plan to assassinate Slobodan Milosevic, the according to him, the the president of Serbia. Do you remember, do you remember the the war, the big war in Bosnia? And yeah, I was only a little kid at the time, but yeah, I was aware of it and have subsequently learned a little bit about it. Yeah, oh, it was horrific. There was there's these horrific um, wars that were breaking out in that part of the world. Now, um, the method they were going to do was they would use an anti-personnel flashlight to shine the light into the eyes of his driver as his car was driving into a tunnel. There would then be agents hiding in the bushes or concealed nearby who would then rush into the tunnel and kill him with a lethal injection if he had survived the actual impact of the, of the crash. And it's uh, another guy, Randall Fines, who's former UK Special Forces. He actually uh, said that it is possible to actually uh, stage a car crash using a kind of uh, sabotage device that's very simply placed on the axle of the car. He'd actually uh, done some drills using this method as well during his time in special forces. So again, there's this. I suppose you've got to, I've got to ask myself: Is that is it is it just more like to say that these emergency service personnel and everyone else lost their heads? They 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 breached normal procedure. All normal practice went out the window, and some terrible mistakes were made. Or should we actually take these suspicious elements on board and investigate them and, and consider them? elements of suspicion until they can be cleared up i would say the latter personally yeah well i would say that it's worth at least thinking about it and investigating it you know even if you you don't necessarily go into it with a conclusion already i think personally with the diana situation there is enough 
or there are enough anomalies to make it worth a proper investigation. And, you know, I have never done that. I've never really read deeply into it or spoken to anyone involved. But I think that, yeah, that, that is an, uh, an instance that does warrant further investigation, definitely. Yeah. I mean, we all often find that in these circumstances, as with 9-11 and any other situation, um, the, the official, the official them will not look into it. They will not. For whether they know it's, it's uh, dodgy and they don't want to, or whether they're, there's some kind of tacit of unwilling compliance. I don't know. But it's very often it's the amateur, it's the amateur sleuth who will, um, take it upon himself, usually in his own time to, to investigate right books. People like my friend John King. Who will uh, do that? You'll find. Well, unless you get a, a thorough and totally impartial investigation into an event like the Warren Commission. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> the Warren Commission. I, well, that's that thereby hangs a tail. Uh, the Warren Commission, I think, was not was not impartial. Not. <laughs> I know. I was, I was only being. Uh, I was. I was being facetious to say that. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I, th- I thought you might be. But I mean, a good example. A, an example of maybe some progress being made is in this awful situation where. The there's these child abuse scandals in this country. Yeah, Jim Savile. Yeah, people like Cyril Smith and that, which is uh, something that was people. The amateur salute, the amateur conspiracy theorists, the guys with the tin foil hats, have been yelling at the top of their voices for years that this was going on, and they were laughed at. Yeah, I mean David Icke's been going on about this for twenty odd years, isn't he? Yeah, I mean he he was the first man to publish accusations against Jimmy Savile in his book "And the Truth Will Set You Free." Um, he was uh, la- well. The book was was laughed out. It was considered fringe literature, and uh, was not taken seriously. Now it's all come out. Jimmy Savile, in fact, was a paedophile, and what's more, he, the only way he could get away with what he did for so long was with there must have been an enormous network of institutional collaboration. And really, if the police were doing their job properly, they'd walk in, they take away the BBC's license to broadcast, they shut it down, they take it apart, they'd be questioning everyone, right from the director general to the studio T boy. And saying, look, what the hell is going on here? Well, at risk of sounding like I'm trying to defend Jimmy Savile, just kind of playing devil's advocate, we talked about how 9-11, the official story, was something of a trial by media. Well, Jimmy Savile was dead before these uh, accusations came to light, or certainly came to the mainstream attention. And he never had his day in court. He's, he's never had a trial. There's, there's never been any official judgment on that so it, it that does feel like a trial by media to me that you know I'm, I'm not saying that it didn't happen but i'm just saying that we've never had an official process to prove that it did yeah i mean there's, there's never been an official inquiry um, in, in I mean, they, were, they keep saying they're going to have one it's never happened there was a, 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 a sort of like semi-official one last year which didn't really come up with much. They're still gathering testimony from witnesses but the thing is there's so many accusers so many witnesses there's the actress um, Julie Fernandez, for instance, I mean, she's been very vocal in, in what she's been talking about. Um, but there's, there's, there's hundreds of others. I mean, Rolf Harris, of course, uh, has been prosecuted and convicted in his lifetime of um, sexually assaulting some young girls in the 60s. In, and um, I think he, he, there was four counts against him. I mean, Savile, he's obviously like small fry compared to Savile. Savile was, I mean, there are literally hundreds of different cases they're looking into right now. It could take a long time. But again, this, this could have been done, really he should have been picked up at the very start of his career, because he was doing this from day one, and he had a 45-year career at the BBC. Yeah, and now it's come to light that, or it's coming to light, that certain politicians, have, you know, high-ranking politicians, were into this um, you know, terrible child abuse as well. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, well, it's it's now been revealed that Cyril Smith, the Liberal Democrat MP, um, was um, involved was in this. And what's more, they actually ha- had evidence to um, arrest and convict him in 1983. They He was actually uh, caught red-handed, basically, at a, uh, a place which is a well-known haunt for paedophiles. And apparently the police had videotaped and audiotaped evidence of him involved in abusing teenage boys. Yeah, if someone very high up told them to drop it, um, there is institutional collaboration here, and this is this is the stumbling block. I mean, what's being done now is being done in the face of of all this, uh, in the face of this attempt to suppress it. So maybe it's a good sign. Maybe it's it's a sign that suppression is not being is not possible anymore. It's becoming more difficult. I've heard um, conspiracy theorists. I don't know if Gareth from the Mindset Podcast would like to be referred to like that, but he often says that things like this are a pressure valve, just to um, you know relieve a little bit of the pressure to kind of almost divert it because it, it gets to critical mass. Where you know, I, I mean, I don't know what you believe, Ben, but certainly the people like David Icke believe that uh, child abuse is is absolutely. It's institutional, you know, across the echelons of power. It's standard practice for children to be, you know, unspeakable things to go on. And, you know, it's almost as if they need a little bit of uh, pressure relief. You know, they, a few scapegoats like Savile and Cyril Smith now and again to stop the, the whole thing being blown open. I mean, I'm not saying I believe that, but I'm just saying that's what I've heard. I'm not sure about that, Joe. I mean, it's possible. I know Gareth has, has these ideas. Um, he may be right, but I, at the moment, it, it seems that it's a pressure relief valve, which is actually only ask is only making people more ask more questions. Because I mean, from what I've seen, people are. I mean, TV the the, the statistics for TV license evasion is a good sign that uh, what has happened, far from relieving pressure, has actually built pressure up. Um, Do you know that um, um, TV license evasion has reached such endemic proportions? They've had to decriminalise it simply for practical reasons. Um, it's like the poll tax. I mean, ten percent of magistrate courts' time was taken up with people who were refusing to pay their or failed, culpably failed, neglected to, to pay their TV license. And it shot up after the revelations about Savile came about because people, I imagine, I hope people are thinking, well, I'm not using my money to fund paedophiles, a network of paedophiles, which means they don't buy the story that Savile was just this 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 lone predator who, for some extraordinary oversight on the part of the organization, abused children for 45 years. I don't think um, people buy that. And I, I think it's very sensible not to buy that. Well, yeah, I mean, at, at the very best, the, the higher-ups looked the other way. And at worst, they helped him and possibly even engaged themselves. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's actually to, to, a network of collaboration is actually not as hard to produce as people think. I mean, you can, if people up in, up in control at the top um, have control of who they hire beneath them, it's quite easy to set up a pyramid of um, control using people below you who you know will do as you're told by those above. Once that is done, you can have a very, very large organization of people keeping an open secret. The word open secret has actually been referred to about people like what Jimmy Savile was doing. I mean, of all the people, Esther Ranson, of all the people who, who you think would actually do something about Savile, she didn't. Yeah, and for our international listeners, uh, she started the child line. She's in, in Britain, she, she was synonymous with child protection. She was on TV talking about child abuse all the time. And she's the last person on earth I thought would ever tolerate this. But she did, when she was interviewed, it was really quite pathetic to hear her say, 
Well, you know, we heard rumours about Jimmy Savile. A lot of people were talking about, you know, you can't do anything really. This is the woman who started Childline. And, and um, Johnny Rotten, John Lydon. Now, he, um, he was interviewed a, f- a few months ago, actually. He was crying because he was so upset over what happened because there's that very famous outtake from 1978 from the whistle test, the old grey whistle test, where he is sitting in front of the camera talking and he's saying, I could tell you some things about Jimmy Savile, you know. I could really tell you about him. He's, he calls him a, some name. Why do you think he didn't come out and say so at the time? I mean, surely the Sex Pistols were, you know, they were punk. They didn't really care what anyone thought. They were singing, you know, God Save the Queen, she ain't no human being. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty awful, but I mean, I've, I've seen at my hospital, for example, uh, there is corruption, and the corruption goes on, and a lot of people know it's happening, and they keep the secret. They keep the secret that's going on. I mean, um, for many, many years, um, a company was operating in the hospital that provided such a shoddy level of service that really it should have been closed down and kicked out of the hospital. But for 10 years, it was allowed to carry on unhindered, uh, which created unsanitary levels of cleanliness, which actually were directly related to patient deaths. Uh, but I, so many people and would would not say anything. So many people were going on a around seeing these things there was the mon the, the hospital employed a, a monitoring officer to actually monitor and he was reporting back that all the ways this company had failed in its duty and they were going well thanks for bringing this to our attention we'll, we'll, we'll get back to you mm. um so this is sad i mean even i mean i think everyone's done this at some point you know i mean i i'm not i've been in a situation i mean maybe, maybe it's human psychology i don't know but where it's tribalism isn't it yeah, where you where you're at school and there's some kids being picked on and you don't do anything to help them, things like that. Um, I mean, there's a, a good example. They did a test where they will fake a, they will they'll have an empty street where someone falls over and pretends to have a heart attack, where there's one other person. That person will rush over and take care of that person as if they really are ill. They tried it on. They did it on a crowded street and everyone just stood around looking at looking at each other, waiting for someone else to do it. And there was, a, there was a pause of a number of seconds well before someone actually came forward and actually did anything. So it, it could be uh, human psychology, whether natural or innate, and innate, or whether it's a manipulator controlled response. I don't know. So, I mean, we've kind of skirted around the royal family a little bit. Um, I didn't warn you that we were going to talk about this, Ben, so I apologise. Uh, it's all right. I'll talk about anything. It's okay. <laughs> but, um, you know, we, we talked about Savile and you mentioned Rolf Harris, both of whom were very friendly with the royal family. I mean, Rolf Harris painted the Queen famously uh, not too long ago, 10 years ago or something like that. And um, that ties in with the fact that this week, the Queen became the longest reigning British monarch ever, surpassing her grandmother, I think it is, isn't it? Um, Great, great grandmother. Yeah, surpassing Victoria. Now, (laughs) the likes of David Icke, take this to absolute extremes to say that the queen is a transdimensional reptilian alien who can shapeshift and is definitely not human. And so are all the rest of the Royal family and some high ranking politicians. I mean, surely that's just nonsense. Well, I mean, it depends. I mean, the way he words it, I think he maybe jumps to too many conclusions. I mean, he's, he's taken some um, advice from people who are rather un unsound in the things they've said people like arizona wilder um what he's the what the phenomenon he's actually talking about is that's that psychically sensitive people have observed certain individuals particularly in power 
transforming into into a non-human reptilian humanoid form. This is something that's, that many, many people have been talked about. They talked about it before David Icke came out and talked about it. Um, there's less well-known researchers like Brian Desbro were saying it before David Icke talked about it. Uh, what David, I think, jumps to the, he, he puts too much into it. He, he says things like, he calls them, like, as you said, trans-dimensional lizards. Maybe, I think that's, again, is, that's inviting ridicule to, to, to put too much in, into it. The actual phenomenon itself, I don't think, from what I've seen, can be dismissed as nonsense. It's very far out. It's very unusual. It's obviously, it's a bit of a crazy thing. But, um, it's, it's been talked about for so many times. There's so many witnesses to this, um, that it could it be possible that it's real. Especially when you consider that this exists in mythology as well. Mythology from all over the world talks about this phenomenon. As, um, and it's possible that, that it has tapped into something real. I don't know. I've never seen this myself. I've never seen anyone shapeshift into anything ever in my life. So I can't say I, for myself. I'm going to have to probably stick my foot in my mouth with every listener what I'm about to say. But I, I do not see how this could be real because in my mind, if this was real, then these... These reptilians are are stupid because they've taken over. They have a position that has no power. Uh, <laughs> that's just my take on it. From being an American, I just don't see why they. I see. I, I see it more as the queen and the royal family being more symbolic of power, but not holding any. Now that might be different, but that's my take on it. That's just not true, though, is it? That the, the royals have got no power. That's the official line on things. But I mean, even. I mean, do, I mean, do they? That's been my take on it since. Uh, I have no idea, you know, since a kid, I guess, being taught that, you know, they, that they're more symbol than anything else. Well, that's what we're told, that they're just symbolic, they're, they're just a figurehead. But the reality is that the, the Queen and Prince Charles have vetoed a lot of laws and, and kind of stopped them going through uh, or pushed them through. And, um, you know, they actually do have a fair bit of political control in this country. Well, the Queen has to sign every single parliamentary act before it can be put into law. Um, and she can dissolve Parliament. In fact, she has she did dissolve the Australian Parliament in 1974. And she dismissed the Prime Minister, Gough Whitlam. Why did she do that? Um, it's a long story. It's a big... It, Australians all know about this. I mean, I don't even know the basics. But um, for some reason, um, there was a massive scandal. Um, it's, it's still called dismissal. You say the word dismissal in Australia. And they will say, oh, we know, they know all about that. They, um, they did actually dismiss, she did actually dissolve the Australian Parliament, uh, through her governor general in Australia, who still is her representative over there and has the power to dismiss the Australian government, the entire Australian legislative body at her will. He will carry out his will and dismiss those people. This is uh, why there's a big Republican movement in Australia at the moment. They want to actually separate from, leave the British Commonwealth altogether. Well, I don't blame them. You know, actually have some democracy rather than a you know thousand year old or two thousand year old uh, system of monarchy ruling them. Well, it's, yeah, I mean everyone wants that. I mean whether they get it for real or not, I don't know because of course um, Ireland quit the British Commonwealth in 1947, but I mean the Ireland has since been ruled by what their own. Um, they have their, they have a, a symbolic president, but they have a, a legislative body which is ruled by members, people who are involved in the Bilderberg Group and various other organizations which tie into globalist power, which are connected to the royal families of Europe. So, again, they, they can actually give you the illusion of freedom without actually it being real freedom. The, you mentioned the Bilderberg Group. The, there might be people listening who don't know what that is. So can you uh, give us a bit more info on that? Sure. I mean, the Bilderberg Group is a, an, an organ, it's a think tank. It's an international organization. 
of people um, in high levels of royalty and government and corporate power, which um, was started in 1954 by um, Prince Bernard of the Netherlands, who's a former SS officer. He's the consort of Queen Juliana, who's the uh, reigning, well, she's not the reigning monarch, it's Beatrix now, but she was the reigning monarch of the House of Orange, um, which, of course, is, um, was also on the throne of England under with King William of Orange. Um, and it was it met at the Bilderberg Hotel in Oosterbeek, which is in the Netherlands, which is how it got its name. And every year they meet at a very, very posh five-star location where they can sort of play golf. And the, the, the people who go along to these events are household names. Uh, you have U.S. presidents um, or and uh, very senior MPs, prime ministers. David Cameron has been there. Kenneth Clark. Um, has Boris ever been there? I don't know if Boris is a member. I don't know. I don't it know. wouldn't he surprise might. me if he was. Yeah, it wouldn't. But I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. There's people like Alex Salmon has been to one. Um, now, what's interesting about the Bilderberg Group, there's two two things that, that really stand out. Well, three things. The first thing is it's entirely secret. Well, it was until people like Jim Tucker and others sort of like exposed it. So it was entirely secret. It was never reported in any newspaper ever. <laughs> yeah, now it's uh, just the Guardian generally. Well, yeah, now now it's it is gone semi, but it's now gone semi overt now because it's had to because basically because like I say, researchers like Jim Tucker, like Alex Jones. Yeah, Alex Jones Alex infiltrated it, or you know, yeah. almost. He tried. He tried to get into it. Um, he did get into Bohemian Grove, which is something similar. But um, another thing about it is is that sometimes new members are actually join as very junior. Um, people, they're, they're quite low down on the hierarchy. They may be a backbench MP, or they may be some um, obscure congressman from Arkansas or whatever. Um, and before you know, within a few years of joining the Bilderberg Group, they suddenly, their career skyrockets. A good example of this is Margaret Thatcher. She was, like I said, she was, she was nobody within the Conservative Party. Uh, then she attended the uh, Bilderberg Group sometime in the 1970s. And before you know it, she's leading the Conservative Party in victory in 1979. Another, the, 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 back, the, the, the obscure senator from Arkansas, Bill Clinton, and he went to the Bilderberg Group. Before you know it, he's president of the United States. The third thing that's uh, interesting about the, and suspicious and worrying about the Bilderberg Group is that members of, these different, of this organization often return to their own countries and institute the same policy, no matter where they are in the world. So you'll see the same, you often see the same policies coming out in government policies. This ties in with what we were talking about earlier about whether it's just chaotic or whether it's organized. The Bilderberg Group, I think, is, is reason to believe there is some kind of international organization here because you'll, you'll, you will get these policies repeated in different countries across the globe. Um, now, as far as the, the, the actual minutes, the minutes are top secret. They never talk about it. Chatham House rules. There are several people who claim to have published leaked minutes from the Bilderberg Group, including the Big Issue magazine, one for the homeless, which the guys sell on the street. So as far as I know, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily believe every, every whenever someone comes out saying, look, I've got this, this guy gave me the minutes of the Bilderberg Group because you don't know. But it, I mean, it is an interesting area of study, this, I think. But isn't it just logical that a lot of rich people are going to get together in a beautiful hotel once a year and have a chinwag and, you know, have a few drinks and have a party? Doesn't that just like, you know, they, they're all of the same interest. So surely that would make sense. I suppose, you know, you know if, if it was sort of like, it wasn't, if it wasn't so secretive and if, as Kenneth Clark said, because Kenneth Clark actually had to answer some questions in Parliament over this from Michael Meacher, who's, um, he's an opposition MP who's trying to expose this. Um, Kenneth Clark was um, grilled by Michael Meacher and he said, oh, we, he said exactly what you've done, Joe. He said, it's just a group of people, we get together, 
we let our hair down, we play golf, uh, and we just we just uh, chin wag informally for a few days. Well, I mean, if the thing about it is though, if uh, people, if members are coming back from these this organisation and they are then introducing the same legislation in different countries across the world, these are sovereign states that are supposedly independent and have their own government. Then it has legislative powers. This this organisation does have a form of legislative power, and so in a sense, they they're committing treason by even um, through their activities. If that is the case, well, are you saying it should at least be accountable? Then what goes on there? Absolutely, I mean, absolutely, totally. I mean, it's, it really is worrying when they when they're meeting secret and they're coming back. And they have these uh, these ideas introduced. You know? But I mean, what's the difference between heads of state or you know senior politicians and business leaders getting together in a fancy hotel resort somewhere? What's the difference between that, you, you know, them and also making decisions that then affect their various countries that they go back to? What's the difference between that and some uh, top bankers getting together in a pub for a few drinks after work and um, you know deciding on some of the financial trends that we're going to see? I mean, surely it's just logical, isn't it? I mean, that is going to happen. I suppose what the, the thing about the Bilderberg Group is that it has some sort of formal structure. It is a, a kind of a it's kind of a chain of command thing. That's I think is what worrying. It does appear to have that, despite what Kenneth Clark says. There's reason enough. I mean, if you look at the things that were written in Spotlight by Jim Tucker, Spotlight magazine's now gone now. I mean, it's it's very very clear that he has studied these various things and. Um, it, it it does look as if um, there is some kind of formal, some kind of formal legislation passed there. Again, you can't prove this because it's secret, so it could be a coincidence. You know, this is this is the this is the impasse that uh, we're up against, Joe. Unfortunately, Ben. Uh, earlier, you talked about starting to read uh, join skeptic clubs and kind of look at the coin from the other side. Is there any conspiracy theory that? you first thought was a conspiracy theory, but now you're more skeptical of it. And also, is there anything you're very skeptical of that you are very much now thinking it's a conspiracy theory? Well, I mean, for, yeah, there is Isaac. I mean, uh, there was a time when I was reading books about the hollow earth. This was the an idea that the earth is actually has a, is has an interior, which has a, a, there's a central sun and the earth is kind of hollowed out like a, like a Halloween jack-o'-lantern. And on the inside, there's, there's there's more land and sea on the inside. There's a couple of books that I, I read, which really I found very persuasive at the time. And they really did, did um, they really did convince me that it was real. Um, there was even, I mean, they convinced a lot of other people. There's people who carried out expeditions to try and find the entrance to the hollow earth. Um, since then, I've um, I've actually realized that's not the case. I don't think the earth is hollow. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's a bit far-fetched, that one, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there are underground, there are... There are large underground um, ch- underground chambers in the earth, cave, natural caves, um, artificially under- underground bit, um, constructions, things like that. But the idea that the earth is actually hollow is nonsense. It is nonsense. So that, that's one of the things, Isaac, that I used to be a believer in. Now I'm skeptical of. Now, as far as the other way around, um, I'm not sure. You know, let me just. I'll, I'll have to think about it, Isaac. Nothing springs to mind right now. I know there. I think there are examples. <laughs> there are examples of something I never used to believe to do now. Oh, uh, but I mean. Well, a better question also, another question to go along with that. Is there any group of people that you look at and you're just like, how can they believe that? 
Oh uh, yeah, there are. Oh, definitely. every religious person as in the world. Uh, yeah, but okay, we're not talking. We're not asking Joe. So, we're <laughs> but I mean, there are, as I said, there are the the, the, the flat Earth people. There, there, there's. This is a quite. This is a strangely recent emergence in the sort of conspiratorial community. But I know a lot of people who are saying the Earth is actually flat. It's that the Earth is flat. What what is their going basis for that? The actual websites and the various other things that same claim to have, have proved this are actually, they, they're citing several experiments they've done, usually involving optics or measuring sticks and things like this. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence, and we'll get to coincidence, I don't think it is a coincidence that this emerged just when Terry Pratchett was dying. Terry Pratchett is an author who wrote some fantastical stories about what he called Discworld, which was a flat world, uh, sitting on the back of a turtle, I remember, with four elephants holding it up. <laughs> um, he died, and there was a lot of publicity over that, and then this flat earth stuff come out. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, I, it's funny because I went to Hull. I went to Truth Juice Hull, and I got talking to this guy who believed the earth was flat. Um, and I found out later on that it's just a, not far from Hull is the Humber Bridge, which is one of the world's longest bridges. And you can, it's actually designed to take into account the curvature of the earth because it's such a long bridge. It completely goes across the Humber Estuary. Um, and the, the t- there's, there's two towers, and there's like, it's like the Golden Gate. It's very similar to the Golden Gate Bridge in California, which I'm sure you're familiar with, Isaac. <laughs> it's very similar design. So, oh, this one's longer. But it's, um, the towers are actually slightly at slightly different angles. And uh, someone with sharp eyes c- can actually see this from some places if you, if you look at it. The reason it's at different angles is because the bridge is so long that the curvature of the Earth means that one strut is, is about a couple of degrees away from or a couple of arc seconds of a degree away from the other. And, and there's lots of other examples. Like If you're looking out to see and it's a clear day, you can actually see a ship disappear over the horizon. Yeah, I mean, I went to Beachy Head uh, a few weeks ago and, you know, all the way up there looking at, it was a beautiful, clear, sunny day, and you could quite clearly see the horizon was slightly curved. I, I mean, it just, it's an absolute nonsense that the, the world is flat. I mean... Yeah, you fly up in a plane high enough. Yeah. I mean, you, you do this in an aircraft. You can actually see if you're, not, if you're in a high-flying aircraft. The, the, the slight arc of the horizon, it's visible from a high enough altitude. I think it's crazy that people believe this. Well, hopefully you enjoyed that so far and you will tune in next time, uh, which will be hopefully a few days. I don't know. Depends. I'm pretty busy at the moment. Uh, it depends when I get around to editing it and uh, pushing it up there. But um, yeah, it was incredibly interesting to talk to him and uh, as we said at the top before we uh, played that you could have talked to him all night couldn't we oh for sure he's a really cool dude i'll definitely check out some of the stuff he talks about which you'll hear in the next podcast books conferences stuff of that nature <clears throat> i'll try and check some of that stuff out for sure and then the next podcast also we'll uh get around to some feedback some interesting feedback from our libertarian slamming and <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not sure yeah we're not going to do feedback on this one because um the chat with ben was so long I don't know. It depends where the edit point is. We might do feedback in the next one or we might wait until the one after. But um, yeah, in the meantime, keep it coming. Anyway, um, you can either leave a comment on the website or you can get in contact either joelrestpodcast.gmail.com or podcast.joelrest.com. Either way, we get it. I mean, it's pretty much anything at joelrest.com. That's how I've configured it. Uh, But if if you do it at podcast, then, um, then I'll know what it's supposed to be. But um, yeah, until next time, usually I say who knows when the next one will be, but I think it's going to be in a few days' time, hopefully. So uh, well done for getting this far, um, if you are a skeptic and you're pulling your hair out. 
and and do get back. You know, I will forward anything on to Ben, and I'm sure he'd be uh, interested to read any um, criticism because he, he's a very, uh, you know, it's weird to say that he's uh, a grounded and rounded person because he comes across as, well, if you're like really into the mainstream stuff, then he seems like totally mental, basically. But he's not at all. He's like a really normal person who just looks at evidence and has taken the time that most people haven't to look into the evidence for this stuff. So, um, but yeah, anyway, well done for making it this far. But until next time then, I'm Joe. I'm Isaac. And we'll see you later. Peace.